Hey there, friends. Before we get to a brand new episode of the official Do Good Better podcast, we want to thank you, the listener, for subscribing and sharing with all of your nonprofit friends. Most importantly, we need to be thanking the sponsors to this very show. Hey, if you're in the market for a CRM system that makes your life easier, there is no better item in your fundraising toolbox than DonorDoc. DonorDoc is not only the premier sponsor to the show, it is the premier and intuitive CRM system that not only has everything you want, but has zero things you don't. No one needs complicated, especially when you wear 10,000 different hats at your nonprofit. So get DonorDoc and use Do Good Better at checkout and get a month free to try it out. Thanks, DonorDoc, for being an awesome sponsor. Hey, speaking of life being easier, fundraising is not. And as a listener to this podcast, I hope you found some insight and tips and tricks on how to make it a little less challenging. But if you're looking for a more content, more done-for-you templates, weekly support, and a community of other do-gooders like yourself to either commiserate, challenge, co-create, or celebrate with, join Do Good University. Hey, it's our brand new membership site. We have hours and hours of on-demand trainings, exclusive guest expert webinars, and access to the entire Do Good Better crew to answer all of your pressing questions. All of that is for an affordable monthly fee. So visit dogooduniversity.com or click the link in the show notes for details. Hey, get ready for another episode of the official Do Good Better podcast. Welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast, where we help small and medium-sized nonprofits do good better. Join host Patrick Kirby as he chats about the latest nonprofit trends, challenges, and success stories. Plus, you'll get actionable advice to help you be even awesomer. If you're a nonprofit professional, volunteer, or supporter, this show is for you. We'll tackle all the big topics like fundraising, marketing, and volunteer management. Our only goal to bring you the information and inspiration you need to take your organization to the next level. So grab that giant caffeinated or adult beverage and get ready to do good better. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby. And of course, we talk with people who are going to help our small and medium-sized nonprofits do good better. You know what you could all do better at? Having your stuff more accessible to everybody. Now, what does that mean, right? You might not be an organization that helps developmental disability or delayed organizations or individuals or families. It does not matter, my friends. You should be accessible to all. And that sounds like an overwhelming task, especially if you are a small or medium-sized nonprofit. Never fear, because today we're bringing in the experts, the people who know all, you know, what to do and what questions to ask and what things to talk about. Tori Hall, she's the uh, co-founder of uh, Doorway Creative, joins us here. Welcome, Tori, to or to the uh, official Do Good Better podcast. Thank you so much, Patrick. I'm so excited to be here. I'm very excited to, uh, to do this. Uh, one of our sort of main clientele at Do Good Better is helping individuals and organizations who, who sort of deal with individuals in the developmental disability and delay community. I love the fact that we're going to talk about this as the most inclusive inclusiveness of all the things that are inclusive. And that's what excites me about today is uh, the stuff that it's not just for groups who uh, who need accessibility, right? This is for an everybody task. But before we get into the dirty details about that, I would like everybody to know who you are. So could we start with a 5,000 foot view on who you are, what you do and why we're talking today? 
I would love to. Um, so again, my name is Tori. I'm a co-founder of Dory Creative. We are a social impact design agency, and we work with uh, lots of small to medium nonprofits and businesses um, in the sort of for good type space. Um, and, you know, as a designer and a developer, I'm classically trained as a designer, self-taught as a developer. I'm often creating things that are brand new in the world. And I feel an immense amount of responsibility to make sure that those things can be used by everybody. In particular, when I think about my clients, their missions are big and they're important and they're things that our world desperately needs. My clients are looking to create worlds that I want to live in. And so I really want their missions and visions to be spread as far as possible. And so that's part of why accessibility is really important to me is because it doesn't seem seem cool or fair for me as a developer and a designer to be building things that can't be used by people and building things that keep organizations from uh, expanding their, their mission and their messages. So at Doorway, accessibility isn't an add-on or an afterthought. It's part of our process. It's been that way since the beginning. It was one of the important reasons why we founded the agency. Um, I'm also CPAC certified, which stands for Certified Professional in Accessibility Core Competencies. It's a certification by the International Association of Accessibility Professionals. See, we get the brilliant people on the show. That's why you tune in. I understand that. Um, Troy, is there a moment in which you um, sort of saw accessibility as uh, something that was interesting to you? Was there a thing that you had experienced or tried to work through that wasn't uh, accessible that made you think like, ah, this is the space in which I need to work because there's not enough people in there? What was that moment of clarity for you that says, I need to get into this? Yeah, that is a really good question, Patrick. You know, I think back to earlier when I was learning how to build websites and a lot of the content that is available around development online um, is, you know, th there's a lot of content about learning how to develop uh, products. And some of the accessibility challenges that I ran into when I was learning was about the way the content was written wasn't always accessible to me as a new developer. The content wasn't written in a way that I could understand and follow. Lessons weren't structured in a way that allowed me to actually absorb material. And so that was really kind of my first sort of um, understanding of that. I'm not a person with disabilities, but I did experience an accessibility problem just as somebody who was new to learning a topic. And so you know, that got me thinking, why, why aren't these lessons structured in a way that helps me learn better? Why is this content so hard to understand and so hard to grasp? And then you know, the more I learned about it, the more I understood how much of our world is not built for people with disabilities. And so people with disabilities are suffering even more, even more than I was in that really small circumstance. And then on top of that, it sort of ties into who I am as a person also. I've always been an organizer and an activist, um, and I uh, do a lot of work around health equity and much of our healthcare system is not accessible to people who have been marginalized. And so that also came into how I structured my business and the way that I was thinking, I'm always looking at ways that our world and our systems exclude other people. And so it's this really focusing on accessibility and development is this really nice marriage of those, those two passions of mine, um, you know, ensuring that people who've been marginalized have access and making sure that I'm building things that are accessible to people with disabilities. You know, if you are a, a nonprofit leader, if you're a board member, if you're somebody who shares the story of your own organization and nonprofit, you work in accessibility all 
the time. And the reason mm -hmm. is, is that if you're trying to explain the impact of what you do, if you're trying to explain how many programs you have or what your programs do, you have to explain things and present things in a way that your donors and your potential supporters have to understand. That is the basis of how you communicate in general. So for those of you who don't think accessibility is something that you need to play or whatever sandbox is, you already do that. And if you don't, mm -hmm. you're not doing well telling your story, you're not doing well fundraising, you're not doing well in leadership because you can't explain or uh, or emphasize the important pieces that everybody else can understand because it's confusing and it's, it's boring or it's not. Worth it. So you're already in the accessibility state. We're just going to talk about it exactly. from a programmatic kind of standpoint. So that's where you start from mentally, everybody. Yeah. We're going to start there. And then we're going to go to point A, which is like, what are the first things that we need to do as an organization to just maybe even self-audit um, what's accessible in our own materials, whether it's digital on down to print, where do we start? Cause it's an overwhelming yeah. topic. If you don't have like a point oh A, my gosh. right. It really is. It really is. And you know, again, I can super empathize as somebody who remembers learning about all of this. It's so much content and it, you know, you have all these complicated terms and standards to meet and laws to follow. And it's, it is super overwhelming. Right. Um, and I can understand why some folks are like, I am worrying about my day-to-day -day operations. I'm just trying to get my programs to run. I'm just trying to make sure my staff are paid. Like I cannot yes. deal with my website at the moment. So I totally get that. Um, one of the first exercises I love folks to do is just to pop onto your website um, and pull out your keyboard and just hit the tab key and see if you can navigate through your website, just your homepage using just your keyboard. Your website should be able to be navigated by a keyboard only. So if you hit your tab key, you should be able to pass through your navigation, open dropdowns. If you have a video player on your homepage, you should be able to tab over to that, hit play, hit pause, keep moving. That's a really great way to just get a teeny tiny sense, especially for somebody who doesn't have a disability, to get a teeny tiny sense of what it's like to navigate your website without using some of the tools that other people have the ability to use. So I would start there. It's a great place to start. The second place that you can look at is in your design. Design is one of the first places that we can um, mitigate some accessibility problems, especially when we're choosing color palettes. So there are contrast ratios that we want to look for in our color palettes. If you think about um, I'm sure you've seen somewhere out in the world, yellow text on a white background is really hard to read. And so that has a really low contrast ratio. We want our contrast from our text to our background to be really high. And so you can look at the color palettes on your website. You can find a color contrast checker online, pop in your background color, pop in your text color, and see if your contrast ratio is high enough for people who have low vision to be able to see your website. So those are two really great places to start. Just pop around with your keyboard on your your website and check the color contrast on your color palette. And again, that makes it for everybody. This isn't just for individuals who are visually impaired. I, again, I'm wearing glasses. I have visual impairments too, but I'm not going to go and sit and read a website that has yellow lettering on a white background. That's annoying to me. Imagine somebody with vision impairment uh, or who, 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 you know, even, even colorblindness would, wouldn't be able to even get what you're trying to do. And you're automatically turning off potential supporters or people who have interestedly or who have interested your organization who are just randomly show up to be like, that's the best part is that you're just doing it for everybody. Um, okay. So I'm on my website. I've got, uh, made sure all of my magenta, uh, lettering against, uh, bright yellow is now 
a thing anymore. I'm sort of in the tech. Talk about size of text, because that's a really important thing that, again, everybody needs to sort of have an idea of what it is. Where's where's the important benchmark? And, and maybe we can talk a little bit about universal design when it comes to accessibility, too. I think that you kind of briefly or maybe highlighted that as well. Um, let's start with the universal design. What on earth is that? Because I'm sure that somebody at some point is going to talk to you about it. Or you're going to hear it in, in sort of uh, musings about accessibility. What on earth is a universal design? Yeah, there are a lot of theories and, and literature around universal design that gets really into the weeds. So I'm going to give us just a really simple definition to work with. Universal design just means that it's designed for everybody ah. in all cases. Yes. That's it. Super simple. It. You know, universal design really is a contrast to some previous uh, design methodologies where they were more about adaptation. So th this is really easy to think about in terms of um, building, building design in the built world. So when a long time ago, before we had the Americans, uh, the ADA, the uh, Americans with Disability Act, um, and before the disability rights movement was really, really strong, lots of buildings had steps on them, which were not accessible to people with wheelchairs. And so in the previous sort of thought patterns about accessibility, you know, mm -hmm. we would just add a ramp to those steps. Now, when we think about universal design, we're thinking about building buildings and building entrances to buildings that everybody can use. So we're building ramps into the structure, not popping a ramp on top. Um, or we're coming up with really interesting pathways that don't need steps at all. Uh, so that's really what we're thinking about with universal design is just that it's universal, it's for everybody. I love that. All right. So now let's get into like the size of fonts. I, I feel yeah. like I've bumped into a lot of websites recently too, where I'm like, what on earth are you thinking from this? Is there an appropriate uh, base number to just when you're typing things and when you're producing things, even in print too? It's like, what are we looking for that is going to match up to that maybe universal de design or close to it uh, when thinking about accessibility? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, this is something I ran into a lot in, when I was in design school. Um, a lot of designers come out of design school and we love the teeny delicate fonts that just like look so pretty, um, but those are not legible. And so you know, I had to learn how to break that habit of mine. When we're thinking about web and print, they're really two different type scales. So I can't give you one number, like 20, 20 points and say, use that on the web and use that on print because they're different, different spaces. So we need to hold two numbers in our head. For the web, a great benchmark is around 18 to 20 pixels. I usually go with 20 pixels. I err on the side of larger text and the side of smaller text. Um, there are different type scales on the internet that don't rely on numbers, their ratios. That's a little bit more complicated for most folks who are building their websites in you know, like a Squarespace or a Wix. Uh, you can look at 18 to 20 pixels. I usually do 20 pixels for body copy and 18 pixels for Something smaller, you know, like a copyright message at the bottom of the website, some uh, footnote type text, things like that. They never go below 16 pixels ever, even for legal disclaimer language that you really want, like not super visible. It should really, it should be 18 to 20 pixels. When we're thinking about print, I don't go below 11 points usually. Most, most design um, Platforms like Canva or uh, Photoshop or InDesign will use a point or pixel system. Um, I won't go below, um, yeah, about 11, I think is a really good number to stick with. Again, you know, a pixel on either side or a point on either side isn't going to make a huge difference. So when we start getting into the 14, the 9, the 8, those are really tiny. 
Um, and so we don't want to go down, down quite so low. So let me recap since I rambled just a tiny bit, um, 18 to 20 on the web and, you know, around 10 to 11 points for print. I love that. All right. So um, we've got some prints on our websites. We've got our print on some of our uh, social pieces. Um, we've got a bunch of pictures on it. Um, I'm just going to post a bunch of pictures. That seems like a really good idea, right? I shouldn't have any sort of captions or explanations on what those pictures are, especially if people are trying to uh, search through the webs, right? I should just let them guess, even if they don't understand or know what's going on, right? That's that's my best practice going forward. Yeah, no? that's a great practice if you want to isolate a bunch of people wow. from your content. <laughs> so, so I think uh, this, is, this yeah. is something that's really, really fun too. So, I, I, and I, and I'm really uh, um, excited about the conversation about describing your photos because there mm -hmm. it, it makes you, I think, think purposely about what you're posting just as much as it is about being purposeful about the accessibility piece. But I love your uh, your concept, your ideas on how do we make photos accessible on all of your things. Definitely. So on the web, uh, we have a tool available to us called Alternative Text. Usually you'll see it abbreviated as Alt Text. Alt Text allows us to describe an image. So that way, if somebody is blind or uh, they have low vision and they're navigating a website using a screen reader, screen readers will read content out loud to them as they go down the page. Mm -hmm. So when a screen reader comes to an image, instead of saying image, which is what would happen if you don't have alt text, it'll say it is an image of a young, you know, uh, brown-skinned person hugging an older brown-skinned person and they're in a living room or something like that. It'll, it's very descriptive. So you can get a sense of who those people are in the photo or what those things are in the photo. Mm -hmm. um, that can also help us, you know, like you said, really think about our content and make sure yeah. that we're putting content, putting images with our content that make a lot of sense and add to the story. Yeah. I, so, I, and I, and again, when you're describing what the photo is, um, what sort of words do you need to use and what should you avoid while you're describing words? Um, and what's how, how much length are you talking? And again, I don't want to discourage people who are sort of designing or thinking about what they're posting, whether it's on blogs or whether it's on um, anything else. Yeah, visuals are a really powerful tool when you are reading and you're doing this. But the descriptive words, I think, are really important, too. And if you are writing a story and you're like, OK, I need a photo of something that I'm going to plop in there and it's it's going to be funny. It, is it and should it be? And, and sort of you're actually creatively thinking about and being purposeful and intentional with what that is, too. So what's the length? What do we what are we kind of maybe suggesting out in, in sort of blogs or on websites and what kind of photos we're doing? And then how on earth do you describe these in the first place? Yeah, all really great questions. It can, you know, I know I, I sit and I write alt text descriptions. I know that sometimes I can say, oh my gosh, how am I going to describe this? Yeah. Um, the first thing we'll start with is length. We don't want it to be many sentences long. You just want to hit the high points. Um, again, if you think, you know, put yourself in, in the situation of somebody reading a screen reader. Close your eyes and think about moving down a page. Do you want a screen reader to sit there and read a description to you for two minutes? Or do you want to go on about your business down the rest of the page? You want to be pretty snappy, but you also don't want a screen reader to say a picture of a ball, a picture of a person. It doesn't, it doesn't add to the story. It doesn't tell you what's going on. So we want to find some middle ground there. I think you know somewhere around a sentence is great, 
And you don't need to start with a picture of or an image of, just describe it. So, so saying a picture of a ball, we might say a red ball in a green grassy field on a sunny day and move on from there. Yeah, that's a, it's really good help. And that, and that clarity, I think, helps sort of underwhelm or at least not overwhelm uh, everybody who's trying to sort of run into that. Okay. Um, videos are very important. Videos are one of the best ways to sell why you should support an organization. Videos are uh, really interesting to to look at, to experience within sort of a, a website. It kind of gives you a feel of the organization. There are a lot of things that you have to consider when you are publishing videos. Uh, this is might be a little longer list than our what's typeface and descriptive words for photos. I'll give you the floor here because there's a lot to run through. Uh, videos and accessibility on your site. What do we need to know and where do we need to start? Yeah, great question. Again, with all of these things, start by putting yourself in the position of somebody watching the video. If you didn't have your eyesight, what kind of information would you need to be able to understand what's happening in the video? If you didn't have your hearing, what kind of information would you need to be able to understand what somebody is saying in the video? Um, so those are really good places to start and that can help internalize some of this information and make it feel a little less checkboxy and a little more intuitive. So when we think about videos specifically, if you're not able to see a video, you need to be able to hear it. So, you know, we want, um, there's a couple things that we can have. We can make sure that the audio is really clear. If the video is something that's not an interview style, it's maybe more you know, documentary style, we're seeing lots of spaces and um, environments and things where people are not describing the thing in the video, you can employ services that will create an audio description of what's happening. And that can be attached to your video. And if somebody turns on audio descriptions, it'll read that what's happening in the video when somebody in the video is not describing it. Yeah. So that's one thing to consider. Another thing to consider is transcripts. If you have a video and somebody doesn't have hearing or they're hard of hearing, um, they can use the transcripts to read what's happening in the video as the video is happening. Um, if somebody is not able to um, uh, hear some of the video, also, you know, you might have um, sign language interpretation on the video. So those are a couple of things you can choose. Audio descriptions are really great. Transcripts are really great. Um, and the last thing that I'll add is closed captions. Those are always really, really helpful. Um, but you know, we can also use transcripts to accomplish some of the same things that closed captioning can accomplish. So I would say your very first place to start is include transcripts with all your videos. Mm. Um, the last thing I'll mention with video as it relates to navigation is again with your keyboard. You should be able to use a keyboard to navigate through controls on a video player um, and pause and play you know, at your will. Um, if you can navigate with a keyboard, somebody can also use their voice to dictate to a screen reader to play or pause or skip or continue. Mm -hmm. What I love about uh, the transcript, too, is it has so many more uses than just accessibility, right? I mean, this yes. is where I would say 75% of your content could come from if you have one video. Um, that sounds like a lot. That probably sounds like I am, uh, I'm Kirby sizing this entire thing. That's not really true. Like it is no. an absolute gold mine of content. Explain to me why. Exactly. Because you can take that transcript and put it 
everywhere. That can become a blog post. That can become a Twitter post. That can become a LinkedIn post, an Instagram post. You can make a series. You can make infographics. Anytime you take a video and you get written content from it, you can do a whole bunch of other things with it. And it is amazing. And this is another reason why accessibility is so important because it's good for everybody. It's good for you as somebody who's running an organization and you really need to um, maximize your effort. Videos can take a lot of effort to create. And so you can maximize your effort by including transcripts while also making them useful to everybody else. Like it's win-win for everybody. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, part of the, the social media, um, question mark, I I think if you're, uh, if you're in charge of social, but you're also in charge of everything else, you're like, Oh God, is this worth my time? Well, it's worth your time that people stay on your content as long as possible. And it has been proven. Every, everybody says the subtitles keep people engaged. Um, it is, uh, all you see on TikTok, which is like, you can watch something, but you're more likely to stay engaged if it's got subtitles and and what it's doing. And the only way you're going to get those subtitles without sitting there and just like listening and then pausing and then typing is run the dang transcripts in the first place. And then just to superimpose them there. Also, you probably said something brilliant in a video or somebody said something brilliant in a video. That is a pullout quote that you get to use for either a testimonial or something for a, for a, a social post there too. How do you get the transcripts? Because I'm sure that somebody's like, well, I have a video. I don't know what the hell to do and how to get transcripts. Where do you even start, Tori? Yeah, that is great. Um, so the way that I start is maybe not the way that most people start. I'll share my, my, what I do and then talk about some alternatives. Um, so I use Adobe Premiere and, um, After Effects, Adobe After Effects for all of my video processing content. Those tools have built in, um, transcriptioning and captioning in them. So it'll take my content, it'll generate the copy for it, and then I can go in and edit it. If you just do a little Googling online for like, free uh, captioning or free transcription, you'll find something that will uh, be a somewhat automated process and um, go through your video and give you that that content. You'll always have to edit it. Please never take a transcription that has been generated and just put it somewhere. I have seen so many situations where transcriptioning has heard a word in the wrong way and used a word in a really poor context. So please don't do that. Please edit everything. Um, beyond that, there's also transcriptioning services that you can pay for, um, which can be a little bit easier if you have a bit of a budget. You can just send your content away. Somebody transcribes it and sends it right back to you versus you you know, putting a video into some free service online, checking everything and getting that content out. Right. Uh, and then again, <laughs> part of the transcription services, especially when you're doing subtitles, and I am a, as guilty as possible because I like to um and er and uh a lot because I'm conversational and I uh, Toastmasters wasn't a thing for me. So I just don't have to. <laughs> right? So it's just terrible. So if you read a transcript of anything that I do, there are about 4,000 ums, errs or whatever. You can edit those out so that your subtitles look like, you know, what the hell you're talking about. You don't suck like a moron like I do when it comes to you know, transcribing those things. And you can also then put your um, exclamation points in, you can put your pauses in, you can, you know, you might've said a word differently and you meant something else. And that subtitle can get you where people can listen to it with zero volume and they can still understand uh, how many, you know, what your, your hand gestures and your enthusiasm and your eyeballs, as you're trying to explain why this is important to you and your organization or whatever, 
Uh, you can then make sure that people have that emphasis or you can make sure that word is correct. You make sure that link is there too. Um, it's just such a wonderful and important piece to your accessibility, but it's also, again, pure content. It's all content. All right, you you have this website. You've got your uh, your type is right. You've described all your photos. You actually got your videos uploaded and you've got transcripts. You've got blogs of all the kind of things. But now I go on to my, my phone because that's where I, most people are looking at websites nowadays anyway, and it looks awful. Ugh, this is the worst. How on earth do you make all the effort that you put onto your actual website transfer to your phone and make your phone accessible the way that everything else is? Because I think that's a frustrating little note for all of us who are either doing it ourselves and sort of bootstrapping it, or you ever getting on one of those websites, you're just like, this is the most hideous thing ever, and I need to get out of this because my brain hurts. Yes, exactly. So, uh, you know, responsiveness is has always been a bit of a challenge ever since phones have become prolific. It's always been, you know, a lot of people will start on desktop and things look great and work well on desktop and then you get to your phone, it doesn't work quite so well. Um, so, you know, I just want to acknowledge that it's a challenge for everybody always, even for developers. Most tools that you'll use now to DIY your website, like a Squarespace or a Wix or a Weebly, have a mobile preview option. And so you can preview your site in mobile, make sure that everything is where it says it should be or everything is where you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And you'll make some adjustments that might be better on mobile. So for example, if you get your site going and then you look at it on mobile and the text is too small, most platforms will allow you to change that just on mobile. So that way it's a little bit bigger and a little easier to use. Um, when we're thinking about mobile, we want touch targets. Touch targets are, if you think about touching your phone, that's the sort of radius that um, your finger can can touch something and, and make something on your phone do an action. So when we're thinking about touch targets, we really want about a 40 pixel radius. So that means you want your buttons to have quite a bit of space. If you go to press it, you're not gonna accidentally hit the drop down that's right next to it. You just wanna hit that button. So we want a little bit of space around um, touch items. You know, most of us have little sausage fingers. And so we need we need enough space on our phones to be able to, to navigate. Can we talk a little bit about donor accessibility? I feel like when we are designing sites and, and you know, the biggest no-nos that I have is like, I don't know where the hell to donate anything or what uh, things are available. Um, it's something that you as a fundraiser or as an executive director and anyone who's able to or really needs to take uh, money or revenue if people want to give right away, where's the best place to put a donate button? What color should it be? Where should it go? How? W- give me the best pieces of advice that you have to maximize the amount of gifts that my website or my digital assets are going to acquire. Definitely. So donate buttons are, in my opinion and in my experience and research, best in the navigation, the very end in a contrasting color from the rest of your navigation. So most of your navigation should be or will be links. They'll just be text titles. Mm-hmm. And then you should have a nice, colorful, big button that just says donate on it. Don't get cute with the title. It shouldn't say, you know, like, supporters go here. Um, we just want it to say donate. That's yep. part of that accessibility piece when we're talking about language. When we start to use euphemisms or um, metaphors, it doesn't translate well to everybody, especially for people um, who are neurodiverse. And so, we, you know, we want really clear language. And again, that helps, you know, folks have a really short attention span. 
And when they go to your website, we want them in a second, literally one second to be able to know exactly where they want to go, where they can go to click a donate, to get to your donate form. So you want that donate button to be colorful and big and stand out from the rest of your navigation. Don't bury it in a dropdown. Don't hide it down the page right up there at the top. Um, and then once they click on it and they go to your donate page, there's a couple of things you can do. We want that form to be at the top of the page. It should be ideally visible when that page loads. And then the other thing that you can consider is, again, some of those accessibility um, checks. You know, can you navigate the form just using a keyboard? If you open your donate page and you hit the tab button, can you tab through all of the forms? Can you read uh, all of the labels? If you turn on the screen reader that comes with your, your device, all of your computers will have a screen reader on them already. If you turn that on, does it read out all of the fields correctly? Those are a couple of things that, that you want to check and make sure um, that are available to folks. And again, that the, the concise clarity is mm -hmm. going to allow you for everybody to make a quick decision rather than just sort of try to figure out what on earth you're trying to ask for in the first place. And again, I think the, the best part about this conversation is if you are thinking about accessibility, you're really thinking about what content is purposeful to get you the best reaction and the immediate, uh, you know, either donation or call to action that you have on your website. And the reason that they're going to do that is because you've actually taken a peek at this to say, hey, this doesn't look cool necessarily, but it does all the right things. And that it gives you, it gives everybody a point of clarity rather than just kind of this is fun. Again, uh, clarity over cleverness, uh, especially yes, when designing always. and accessibility is always a good sign. All right. Always, always. Sorry, there are going to be some people who are just going to go, well, I'd love to figure this out myself. I don't have the time, the talent, the uh, patience, none of it. I just want, I want... Corey to figure it out for me. I don't want to do it, but they might not know where on earth they go to find you. How do people find you? Yeah, this is great. I would absolutely love just to chat with anybody. If they have questions, you know, reach out to me. Um, you can find me most easily at doorwaycreative.com. Uh, doorwaycreative.com. I'll say that one more time. Uh, we've got a contact page with a form uh, and you can fill that out. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Tori Howell. Um, happy to connect with anybody on there. And I'm, I am an open book. If you've got questions, shoot me a message. I want to help. I want to make the world more accessible. Um, you know, even if you don't end up working with me or with uh, our agency, I just want to help. So reach out to us. I love it. I love this conversation. Um, it was not as overwhelming as I think people were probably going to be expecting it because it's very simple and very clear. Again, kind of like your accessible page now that you've gotten all this super cool <laughs> advice. Uh, we're going to make sure that all of those links are in the show notes. So make sure that after the podcast, you go out and you click on all of them and subscribe to everything that Tori and Adore Creative is actually doing. Oh, by the way, if you are new to this podcast, you're just hopping on by and you're like, I wanted to know about accessibility and you haven't subscribed to this show. You should, and then immediately give a five-star review because Tori deserves it because that's the kind of guest she is. And then immediately go back and then go uh, scroll through her website and go find everything about her and everything else that she's doing. And everything really about Dory Creative is making this a uh, really accessible place. And I love that your uh, actual uh, value system says accessibility. That's one of the coolest things. I love that, especially as a group that spent a lot of time working with uh, groups with the development of disability or delay. My favorite thing I've talked about in a very long time here on the podcast. 
Uh, Tori, first of all, thank you for what you do. Uh, secondly, thank you so much for your perspective and your time and your zone of genius to be shared here. But most of all, thanks so much for being a guest here on the official Do Good Better podcast. Thanks so much, Patrick. This was so much fun. You're a wonderful host, and uh, I'm really grateful to be here. You're the best. We'll talk soon, I'm sure. <laughs> thanks. Fundraising is hard. And as a listener to this podcast, I hope you found some insight, tips, and tricks on how to make it a little less challenging. But if you're looking for a lot more content, done-for-you templates, weekly support, and a community of other do-gooders like yourself to commiserate, challenge, co-create, or celebrate with, I want to invite you to join Do Good University. It's our brand new membership site. We're going to have hours of on-demand trainings, exclusive guest expert webinars, and access to the Do Good Better crew to answer all of your pressing questions, all for an affordable monthly fee. So visit dogooduniversity.com or click the link in the show notes 